1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David trusts God even as he must hide from Saul in the wilderness. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 23, verse 7. Once again, that's 1 Samuel 23, verse 7. Verse seven. 1
2: Samuel 23. Remember the theme of the book of First Samuel is lessons from the heart. And we have been, you know, seeing good things and bad things that are in the heart at times. Hearts that are filled with fear, hearts that get fixed, hearts that trust the Lord, hearts that trust themselves. And we're going to look at David again. David and his 400 men, there in the southern part of Judah, and the high priest is with them. Remember, Saul has slaughtered the family of the priests, the whole city of Nob. Verse 7, and it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that has gates and bars. And so It says in verse 8 that Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. I love what David Goodzik said in light of Saul's comments here. He says, it was true that God led David to Keilah, and it was true that this exposed David to Saul's attack. But it was not true that God had delivered David into Saul's hand. That is an absurd notion. How did Saul get this twisted mindset? God delivered David into his hand? Has he forgotten the words of Samuel that the Lord has rejected him as king? God doesn't deliver anybody into Saul's hand anymore. Has he forgotten his sin that he's never repented of? And yet, Saul truly believes he's the one in the right. How is it possible for a person to get to that place? Turn over to 2 Timothy with me. I want to just share a contrasting section of scripture with you. When Paul is speaking to Timothy, he remember he's teaching Timothy how to be a pastor uh, because the first letter's written because he, he anticipates that his time away from Timothy is going to be longer than he thinks. So that's what first Timothy is written. Second Timothy he knows he's not going to get out of jail this time. And so he, he wants these are his final words to young pastor Timothy. And as he's contrasting, you know, Timothy, this is how you need to be. Don't be like the, the false teachers. He says something very interesting here in verses 12 and 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says in verse 12 of 2 Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But, verse 13, in contrast to the godly, evil men and seducers they'll wax worse and worse. And here it is, deceiving and being deceived. We must never forget the book of First Samuel's proximity to the book of Judges. The prevailing theme during the time of the period of the Judges was every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the theme of the book of Judges. And that is Saul's mindset. You know, I know I'm right. I, I know that God told me I'm wrong, but I know I'm right. And so I'm going to just keep moving forward with my own way, my own understanding, because I know I'm right. And so somehow he convinces himself that David is in the wrong and that God has finally gotten on board with his plan. We see Saul do this over and over again where he thinks, oh, God, good, finally, you're on board with my plan. And that's what he's thinking here. And I he might be saying... How do I stop from getting there? How do I protect myself from getting to that place? Paul tells Timothy here. He says, those who will live godly in Christ Jesus, they're going to suffer persecution. I know it doesn't sound exciting, but that's the truth of how it works out. Evil men, they're just going to get worse and worse. They're going to deceive others and be deceived themselves. But you, Timothy, don't do that. How do you protect yourself from that? You continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. What are the things that he's learned? Verse 16. Verse 15 mentions the Holy Scriptures, and then Paul says, "All Scripture verse 16 is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. It's for our good, for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for that rebuke, for correction how to get right, and then instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. The word of God is profitable for that, so that the man of God may be perfect, means mature, thoroughly equipped unto all good works, protected from these types of things. This was something that Saul had not done. The Lord said, there's going to come a day when you will make a king. And, and I'm going to lay down some, some bylaws for that. And, and, of course, the Lord you know, says, hey, he's the king of my choosing. And then he, he puts down some things that the king can't do. Don't, do. don't multiply wives. Don't go down to Egypt to buy horses. You know, don't multiply riches. But then he says that what he must do. He must write a copy. He personally must write his own copy of the law. And he needs to read it regularly. Saul didn't do that. surely there's no way he could have done that because if he did do that, he would read things about like thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He would read things that would be clearly in contradiction to how he's being a king. And as a result, it would protect him from being deceived. But as often as the case when I deceive myself, I just look at things in the natural, not looking at the word of God. And so his mindset is, ah, he's shut in. He's, he's physically confined to the city. He's in a town and has gates and bars now. He's not wandering throughout the land. And so verse eight, Saul summons his entire army to crush David. It says he called all the people together to war, every tribe to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. An entire army to crush a few hundred men? What is Saul doing here? Huh. Well, you see, Saul wants to make a spectacle of this. See, he's going to come down with the entire army as if he's going to attack the Philistines that he'd heard had, you know, done all this to Keilah. But finding David in the city instead, and the Philistines are already gone, he'll divert his army to threaten the people of Keilah with destruction if they don't turn David in. Look at verse 9, because David he knows that's what's going to happen. Verse 9, and David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. In other words, when word reaches David that Saul's bringing the entire army, he sees through the charade. He knows Saul has no intention of fighting the Philistines. And, and so the, now in a normal situation like this, okay, you know, hey, David, David, they got, they got news. What's going on? Saul's bringing the whole army down to fight the Philistines. Yeah, that's not why he's coming down. What would you normally do? What's the normal thing to do? You run, right? I mean, it seems like the obvious decision. You you get out. Get out of Dodge. And yet, notice what David does. When he knew this, it says, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. David seeks the Lord about what to do next. And then said David, O Lord God of Israel, Your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. I've been here before. He says, will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Instead of making up a lie, like he did with uh, Himelech, he asks the Lord. He goes, are they going to turn me in? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? I mean, Am I understanding this thing correctly? Is this how it's going down? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech you, tell your servant. And the Lord answers the second question, not the first. The Lord said he will come down. So David asks again, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men to the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will. They will deliver you up. Sometimes I hear people criticize prayers that inform God about a situation because they'll say, well, God already knows the situation. You don't need to inform him about it. He's God. And while logically that might seem to make sense, you will never find any such critique in Scripture when people pray that way. Never. Why is that? Well, the reason you find many prayers like this one, the David prayers, where he informs the Lord, where God surely already knows the information. The reason you will find a critique is because prayer in its most basic level is simply talking to the Lord. It's talking with the Lord. And just because the Lord knows everything already doesn't mean he doesn't want to interact with us. I think we have to be really careful of saying things the Bible doesn't say, even if they seem to make sense sometimes. I have found that sometimes I don't know what to pray yet. I just need to talk to the Lord. And I'll tell him over and over again what's going on. I don't think the Lord's going, ah, Gabriel, another one, acting as if I don't know everything. All right, go ahead and tell me your sob story, Will. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Oh, did that happen next? Oh, Who would have thought that? I mean, that, that's not the Lord. My kids, they tell me stuff, you know, for example, if there are any parents here, you, you talk, right? Like you talk about your kids, right? Like we don't hide things from each other. It's not like Johnny fell and broke his foot. A couple days later, I'm like, Hey, what's going on with your foot? Oh, I broke it. Didn't mom tell you? No, we don't talk about that stuff. <laughs> we talk. And so I'll say, Hey, how did they go? And she'll tell me and she'll ask me how did when she's gone, I'm watching the kids. How'd it go? I lived, I survived we talk about it and but sometimes the kids will come to me and they'll say hey dad guess what happened yesterday i already know i already know i don't care i love seeing their face i love seeing their smile as they're telling me the exciting thing they went through and that they decided to tell me about it that it was important for them to come tell me about it sometimes i think that we get this idea of god's might and power and majesty that we we somehow feel the need to like, you know, be like the disciples with Jesus. The kids are crying to come to Jesus and they're like, get away from here. Don't you know the master is busy? And the Lord's like, who are you guys? I don't need anyone to protect me from children. Let the little children come to me. I think sometimes we can be like them with nitpicky things like that that the scripture has nothing to say about. I'm not, I'm not talking about speaking when the, you know, if we're, I'm doing something wrong and the scripture says, hey, don't do that. That's different. But sometimes you have this idea like we've got to protect God's sovereignty somehow, or we've got to protect God's majesty somehow, because if we don't, people are going to run, rush out all over him. I am perfectly convinced that the Lord can handle himself just fine without my help. That he's not bothered by so many of the things that May seem to bother us at times. Well. David, he had seen what Saul was willing to do to those who helped David, and so he says, Is he coming down to destroy the city? The Lord says, Yep. Are they going to turn me in? Yep. And so verse thirteen, then David and his men, which were about six hundred, they arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah, and he forbear to go forth. Couple things to note here. Where did the extra 200 guys come from? Last time we heard it was only 400. No, no, now granted, this is not, not the best like recruitment policy or like recruitment advertisement. Hey, come join David's army. Well, where, where are we staying? What's the lodging like? Don't know. You kind of find out every day. Well, well, well what, what, are, what are the perks? We don't have any. You're just kind of on the run. In fact, if you join us, you're kind of an illegal at that point. How did 200 men, more men, join David after he goes, I mean, mean, he's not even in town anymore. He's in Moab. And it's almost like he gets back to Judah, and there's like, you know, a lion sitting out in the desert somewhere going, we're here to sign up for David's whatevers. 600 now. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us where they come from, but David's army is clearly growing. And I love what it says here. They went with us wherever they could go. It Literally in the Hebrew, it means they wandered where they wandered. They went where they could go. Wherever they could go with no danger. Which means they had no clear destination at this point. Following the Lord may seem like that sometimes. (laughs) There's not exactly a a defined destination. You just know the next step. Like, where do we go now? Here. Okay, well, I see that. But where does here lead to? I'll tell you when you get there. The Lord doesn't always give us the long-term plan. In fact, I I find the Lord very rarely gives me the long-term plan. He gives me the next step plan. So while following the Lord may seem like that sometimes, it's okay. As long as you're taking the next step that he's told you to take. But they escape. And it was told Saul that David was escaped, that he had fled from Keilah, and he forbear, that Saul forbear to go forth. Saul stopped whatever You know, mobilization he had planned. The army never leaves, and it exposes Saul's ruse that he wasn't really going to fight the Philistines. David was right; he was just coming to get David. So, where does David end up? Well, verse fourteen, and David abode or settled down in the wilderness in strongholds, and he remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, when we read the word wilderness, I don't know about you, but I I usually kind of think of uh, you know, um, kind of like uh, if if you drive out in like the west side of Texas. And there's just nothing like an I-10 for all those miles. That's kind of how I perceive the wilderness. But but the, over there, the wilderness, particularly back then, not so much these days down south. Uh, but because there's much more barren down south these days. But back then, they were like forests. There was a lot of a lot of trees. It was a deserted area. That's why they call it a wilderness. It just means a large tract of of, of sparsely inhabited land. It doesn't have a lot of sustenance, so people hadn't settled down there. So David and his men, they settled down in, it says, the strongholds of this area where people aren't living. Uh, it, the word strongholds means the rimrock. Uh, these were secure locations high on mountaintops or hilltops. So David's up on the high ground where people aren't living. It's probably not easy to live up there, but at least it's free from danger at this point. And it tells us it's in a particular mountain in the wilderness of Ziph, uh, Ziph was uh, southeast of Kila, probably about 15 miles. It's near the middle of the Dead Sea, but not up against the Dead Sea. And so basically, we don't know how they got there. They wandered around for a bit while trying to stay undetected by Saul, and eventually they end up in these southern hills of Judah. But their disappearance doesn't keep Saul from searching. Note, it says, at the end, and Saul sought him every day. Doesn't a king have more important things to do? Then look for one guy every day. Saul is consumed. But God delivered him not into his hand. <laughs> I love that. Saul says, oh, the Lord's delivered me into your hand. The Lord's like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Despite all Saul's efforts, God did not deliver him into his hand. If God be before me, what does the scripture say? Who can be against me, right? It doesn't matter how powerful that enemy is or how much energy our enemy expends against us. David and his men are as safe as they can possibly be right now, despite this awful situation. Because unless the Lord delivers them up, Saul will not catch them. Verse 15, as Saul is searching, apparently one of his searches brings him right next to David. Verse 15, and David saw, he became aware of is what that means, that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. So Saul was currently searching in this region of Judah. So he's close to David, even though he hasn't found David yet. And David is in, mentions this in a wood, it means a forest on a hill. David's in this forest on a hill and he notices Saul and whoever, whatever troops Saul's brought to the region to search for David. But what is so cool about this is while Saul can't seem to find David, somehow Jonathan does. Look at verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto you. And that also Saul, my father, knows. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. What an interesting encounter here. I don't know if Jonathan came out to look for David at the Lord's prompting, and that's how it it doesn't tell us that. But it mentions here that somehow he found him, and it says that he strengthened David's hand in God. Now, the the hand is an important object in Scripture. It it speaks of the the force and the ability which is necessary to complete a task. When it talks about God's going to bring them out by his strong right hand, It's referring to the fact that God has all the ability, all the strength, all the force necessary to do what he says he will do when he's saying that. And so David has been given a task by the Lord. And so when Jonathan finds David somehow, he gives him some extra strength to finish the task that God has set him on. And how does Jonathan do that? Well, it tells us in verse 17. It says three things. He says, fear not. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto you. And that also Saul, my father, knows. He says, fear not, which you don't say to somebody unless they're scared. David was frightened. And when someone is frightened, they need some extra strength. But Jonathan doesn't lend it to David just by saying, hey man, don't be afraid. He says, fear not, but then he gives David three reasons why. He says, number one, For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. My father shall not find you. My father might be putting the energy necessary, his hand, he might be putting the energy necessary to accomplish his plan to kill you, but he will not be successful. It is so important to remind a fearful person, if you have a friend or a family member or someone you come into contact with that knows the Lord and they are frightened, it is so important to remind them that the enemy will not prevail. They need to know that. It doesn't matter how hard our enemy is working against them or how much it looks like the enemy is going to defeat them. They will not. We already know how the story ends for us because the Lord tells us that we win. Amen? It's so important to tell someone that. Listen, however this plays out, you will be victorious. The second thing he tells them, why should not be afraid, He says, you shall be king over Israel. My father shall not find you, but you shall be king over Israel. God will keep his promise to you, David. The second thing when you're trying to minister to someone who's afraid is it's so important to remind a fearful person of the promises that God has made to them in Scripture. You got to tell them and say, listen, this is the promise that God has made to you. You know, Jesus confronted Martha when she was going through a crisis, she said, My brother's gone. And Jesus said to her, He said, You'll see your brother again. He'll rise again. And she said, That's not what I need to hear right now, Jesus. She said, I know who rises again at the last day. And he goes, No, 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 you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. He that believes in me shall never die. And then he, he just puts her right on the spot. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Martha's got a choice at that point in time. Do I believe in Jesus' promise right now? That I'm going to be all right, that my brother's going to be all right, and that death doesn't exist for the believer. But truly, my last ragged breath here is the beginnings of the first ones there. When you're afraid, it's important to know that and many other promises that God gives to us. Now, to be able to do that for somebody, you've got to know what the Scripture says, right? <laughs> you got to know what God's promises are. You just kind of saying, hey, I have hope for the future may give someone some good feels, but God's Word is what gives us true strength, God's promises. Third thing that Jonathan says to strengthen David when he's afraid is he says, and I shall be next to you. You're going to be king, and I'm going to be right by your side. Now, what's interesting is God did not promise that to Jonathan or to David. So there is no failure on God's part when that actually doesn't happen because that does not happen. In fact, unless I'm really missing something as I was looking through the scriptures, I believe this is the last time that Jonathan and David see one another. This is it. This does not happen, even though Jonathan says, I, I'll be right next to you, buddy. You're going to be king and I'll be a right-hand man. I'll be helping you the whole way. So even though that doesn't happen, that doesn't mean God broke his promise because God didn't say that he would do that. But, but... How does it strengthen David when he's afraid? Well, it communicates Jonathan's commitment to David. He says, listen, my dad might be hunting you, but I'm not out here hunting you, David. You still have friends. You're not alone. And I'm going to stick with you to the very end. And it is so important when you're trying to minister to someone who is fearful that you let them know you will stick with them to the very end. The scripture that talks about how it says that the Lord is the glory and the lifter of our head, Back in that culture, if you saw someone with their head down, and you lifted their head up and you said, "Why is your head down? What's going on?" You were telling them not just because you know whenever you do that, something. Hey, how you doing? And then they unload, it and you're like, "Whoa, i just was being polite. I really didn't want to know. I didn't want to know all that. I was just being nice." The Lord never does that. I mean, when you hear the Lord's voice, he's like, hey, Will, how you doing? It's never, I'm like, oh, Lord, let me tell you, it's a mess. The Lord's like, "Well, well, you don't understand. I've got all this stuff going on in the Middle East, and there's a virus, a pandemic. Well, really, I was just saying hi. The Lord's not like that. When he lifts our head up and says, how you doing? What's going on? He will see us through to the very end, because he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But we need to be that friend to someone as well. If we lift up their head, they're... You look terrified. What's going on? We need to let him know we're going to stick with him to the very end. And I love what he tells David. He goes, and that also Saul, my father knows. In other words, in all this he's saying, David, God's brought you this far. He's brought us this far. He's going to see us through to the end.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.